The National Archives podcast series, Big Ideas, Freedom of Memory, A New Human Right, presented by Elizabeth Oxborough-Cohen. This talk was recorded on the 5th of October 2015 at the National Archives, Kew. Um, I'd like to thank uh, the National Archives for inviting me to talk to you today. Um, what I'm doing is coming to you with an idea rather than lots of facts today, so I don't know how much you'll learn as opposed to what you might teach me. Um, what I'd like to do today is just speak briefly about who I am, because that will explain why I'm talking about the thing I'm talking about today, which is my big idea. And why I've come up with this big idea and you know what are the problems associated with with the concept I've got and quite frankly I'd just like to know what you think really I've worked um, as an archivist since 1996 when I qualified and I've run my own consultancy since 2003 um, and along with that I've 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 spent sort of much of my professional life trying to explain to the uninitiated and the uninterested why the archival sector matters. Um, and I spend a lot of time doing that on behalf of my clients, trying to put forward why things are important. But in that sort of advocacy activity, um, I was a co-founder 13 years ago now of, or co-suggester, might be a better description, of the Archives Awareness Campaign, which is still going, gone through some changes, but certainly still going. And as said, I'm also chair of the UK UNESCO, uh, UK Committee for UNESCO's Memory of the World programme, which seeks to promote the awareness of the importance of, of um, documentary heritage, but also has these registers which recognise documentary heritage of outstanding significance. So I've sort of, you know, advocacy on behalf of um, the documentary heritage sector is something I've sort of quite by accident got wrapped in, up in over the years. And this has led me to this. This is my big idea, which is really a concept of freedom of memory. And I have defined it thus, but I'm very happy for anyone to argue with it. And what it is, is every individual and organisation across the globe has the inalienable right to meaningfully recall the past in a form that is accessible to them. They have the right to create their own narrative of the past and express that narrative in whatever form, so long as it does not infringe the human rights of others. Um, so that that's sort of that's my opening salvo. But I've also recognised that you know every every right also comes with a responsibility, and the responsibility in this is that every individual and organisation has the responsibility to ensure that their records of the past, both tangible and intangible, and I are identified and maintained for the benefit of future generations. And that's really the bit where we all go. Are <laughs> um, particularly standing in, you know, a bastion of um, the development of digital preservation. You know, I'm, I'm not deluded as to what I'm suggesting here, the difficulty of it. Um, so, you know, what, what, why am I, why am I coming up with this? What, what is the purpose of this? What I, what I really came up with this for was to make people realise the role of memory throughout all aspects of society not just in sort of, you know, maybe that more personal area of doing your family history or um, knowing where your house came from, but from, from running businesses, from running the judicial system, from running government. Um, you, you need memory to be a human, and humans that don't have memory suffer. 
Um, and flowing on from that, I think if you have a concept like this, what you're trying to do is you engage stakeholders in the importance of both using and maintaining memory, particularly in the digital age. Um, and I'll come back to this, but uh, this, this is something that really concerns me, as I'm sure it does many of you. Um, and also, the ulterior motive is to actually safeguard the archival record, um, because I know in my own work, the archival record just in the UK, in certain areas, is under severe threat. And that's just in the UK. In other parts of the world, it's you know being destroyed quite actively. And then there's this big question. Should we put it on the Declaration of Human Rights? What, what do we think? Anybody's? <laughs> so, you know, do we need a, a formal um, recognition of the importance of memory in its own right? So why have I come up with this? Well, I have to say this is my viewpoint as an archivist because I'm very concerned about the archival records just within the UK. Um, I do a lot of work, for example, with local authorities and they are in dire straits. There is some very serious issues arising just in the local authority sector. But, of course, um, you know, that, that, that's just one sector. You know, what about the individual's records? How are people personally looking after what they, they have? Um, I also believe that more effective advocacy is vital for the archival sector. I know that the message is not getting through, and in this period of financial cuts it's getting harder and harder to put that message across and I'm watching my colleagues trying to do the best they can and it's very difficult indeed. Um, and also, I think that society generally has to recognise that it's not just a few specialists that look after memory or the, or the shall I say, the tools of memory. It's, it's got to be a social process whereby ec everybody recognises that you need to remember and flowing on from that, when one looks at traditional societies, very often you have an individual who's responsible for remembering that history, for passing it on in oral cultures. You know, that, that's a very strong role. Who's doing that today? Now, obviously, we live in far more complex societies, so you can't assign it to one person. But, you know, who is ensuring that the materials and memory are actually surviving? And then, rather cheekily, I've put what digital preservation? Now, of course, within the National Archives, one would, one would never ask that question. <laughs> the National Archives is, is doing some fantastic work in that area. You go out to local authorities, um, again, or even, even personal records. You know, I was on a digital preservation course, put up my hands and said, um, how do I do my own digital preservation? And the very experienced lecturer said, well... I think there's someone in America trying to do that. <laughs> you know, we, we can't just rely on the big boys to save all the history. That's not what they're there for. We've all got to do our bit. And as a result, we, we really need to be looking for practical support for the survival, but also the use of the historical record and recognise that it has a multitude of uses. Um, and I think just on that also, I think, you know, again, something that I'm seeing a lot appearing in the local authority sector is actually developing the relevance of our sector to the whole issue around mental health. Um, obviously, the dementia um, agenda is quite big, but, but, you know, that whole sense of identity and the security it provides to the individual and society and where do they get that identity from. Um, and also, just purely from the perspective of working as an archivist, we've really got to sell ourselves in a different way as a sector. I don't know how many of you are actually operating archivists and how often you have to go out and advocate for documentary heritage. 
but I can tell you from my experience it's jolly hard. First of all, the use of the word history. We, we, we have a perplexing relationship with history in this country. In one sense, we're very proud of our various histories across the nation, and we love it. And then in another way, I sometimes feel that history is what you do on a Sunday afternoon with a nice current bun at a national tree shop, and then you go off and have the rest of your life. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think history in itself is necessarily a selling point. Um, secondly, archives. Um, you know, how often do you walk into a room and say, I'm an archivist, and people go, what? They're all person says to me, you're an anarchist? Oh, I wish. Yes. <laughs> um, it's a term that uh, within the English language or within the, the, the British um, society has very, very low literacy. Having said that, when I've gone to, say, Canada or France, they go... Oh, I spoke to one Canadian lady in a coffee shop. She said, you're an archivist. Oh, gee, that's just beautiful. And I thought, oh, so are you. Um, so, we, you know, to talk about archives immediately closes down 99% of your, or your audience. And following on from that, what we need to be doing as an archival sector is we need to be talking about why we are important in terms of the value we de- deliver rather than saying we often start off with archives of this, this, and this. Archives are important because, because, because. We've had to go through several stages. There's a fantastic book about learning to design web pages called Don't Make Me Think. The idea is it should be intuitive. You should just know what to do with it. And likewise, when we are talking about the importance of documentary heritage, we've got to give something that people are immediately literate with and they can shape in their own way and they can work with. Not that they've got to work hard to understand right from the beginning what you're talking about. And that's why I think there is a real literacy around the concept of memory. And that, that, is, that is actually how I came up with this concept. I was actually lying in, in bed one morning and I just suddenly went, we're looking at it from the wrong angle. We need to actually just talk immediately in terms of value and then get on to what you need to deliver that value. Aye, us. So um, that's all very well. Good, well done. I've come up with a fantastic idea, but, you know, it, it can't, it isn't sort of come for free. There are responsibilities that come with it. So um, who's actually going to curate these materials of memory? Who's going to do that? Ideally, you do it across society. Every individual has the capacity to curate their own materials. Every community, every organisation. But of course, that's a that's an enormous ask. Um, and then you've got the next problem: your ability to remember must not infringe other human rights. So, how you remember, what you know, what you decide is your past has to be in such a way that it doesn't offend or or ruin others, as it were. So that that's, that's quite a complex thing. And perhaps the best way to describe it is actually the other way around, is how do you create into that the right to forget? So, for example, somebody who is seeking to rehabilitate themselves in some way or, or needs to overcome and ignore something for mental welfare... Um, so those are, you know, I, I don't underestimate that those are very difficult responsibilities to which there is no straightforward answer. I have to say, in the midst of all this, my response to my own questions is always, well, they came up with freedom of speech, didn't they? Um, and freedom of speech, is impossible. And, you know, right in our own times, we, we're having such difficult debates about that. But we never throw out the underlying concept. 
the underlying concept it's good it's just that in individual situations its implementation is going to be very difficult so um <laughs> it was quite funny when i when i came out with this concept and i tried it on various people um, they people said oh yeah yes i i quite like that yeah that, that, that i i could go with that and then i showed it to a couple of friends who were barristers First of all, they suck through their teeth like a plumber looking at a tap going. And then one of them came up with a series of issues, which I've incorporated into this list here, but then noted that he's not a human rights lawyer, and by the way, never has anything to do with them if he can help it. So, <laughs> so that was one barrister's approach. And the other barrister just turned to me and said, you've got freedom of speech, what else do you need? So when you talk to the people who would actually, as it were, literally have to implement this kind of thing on the ground... They were they were very nervous about it because they could see all the problems with it. So, um, so you know, you've got this issue of growing right of privacy. Who can recall who's passed? Uh, that's a fantastically complex question, just just in itself. You know, um, copyright and data protection. Uh, yeah, right. Well, <laughs> we all know about that. We've been there so many times. How to accommodate the ability to forget? How much do we need to remember? And by dint, how much do we actually need to preserve? Um, and how far is how we identify ourselves built on myth rather than reality anyway? And if you actually bring the reality in, do you destroy people's identity in the process? I was, I was reading just last night about how um, the Duke of Wellington was referred to as the Iron Duke originally. Some of you probably know this. Not because of his strength of character, but that he actually put iron shutters on his windows to keep out mobs during riots. Um, so and do we have a right to destroy those myths in a way? Um, do we have to actually go through conscious destruction to enable forgetfulness? Are there, to enable people to forget because in certain cases perhaps they need to or want to, do we consciously destroy material? And of course, like freedom of speech, how do you prioritise conflicting rights? So, for example, a child who wants to understand perhaps their birth mother who gave them up, but the birth mother who doesn't wish anything to be known to her child. Where, where, you know, how, how far would you, you deal with that kind of thing? Um, and the biggie, who carries the responsibility to preserve? The state, individuals, organisation, and thus who guards the guards? The old, the old chestnut in all of this. Who, who is, who is, who is going to take on responsibility? <sighs> Originally, when I came up with this idea, I thought, yes, this needs to be a right. We need to, we need to just have this, and because it's a great idea, I thought of it. It must be good. Um, but then, when I started to think about it, I thought, well, you know, given all those issues, there would be so much in the way of implementing it in terms of a right, a legal right. Is it perhaps not more a mindset and a culture that we should be setting, saying that you should seek to remember, you should hope to remember, you should seek to put in place those things that enable memory and actually seek to change public and policy views about documentary heritage and memory institutions generally? And in doing so, create a literacy around the role of documentary heritage, why why it's important. So you're moving actually to an approach where you're talking about a cultural attitude rather than a defined right. Um, so rather than a human right, we'll just change the culture of humanity. Oh, that seems pretty straightforward. Right, good. <laughs> so so that is it. I'm, it's not a very long talk because actually there is 
no more at this point to say, but I'm very interested to see what you think. As I say, I've floated it um, amongst colleagues and friends, um, but this is really sort of, in some respects, its first professional outing. And I'm very interested to know what you think. You know, does this make sense or is it a silly idea? Would you actually use the concept in your work? Would you take and just use this phrase, freedom of memory? Because I am now starting to put this concept into documents. And should I take it any further or should I just give up now? This podcast is copyright to the National Archives, rights reserved. It is available for reuse under the terms of the Open Government.